All right, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. We just talked recently about the film Enemy of the State. His name is Tom Secker, and he co-wrote the book with another of my guests, Matthew Alford. The book was National Security Cinema, Shocking New Evidence of Government Control in Hollywood. And you can go back and listen to those two interviews that I had. But today he reached out to me and he did some excellent research, actually a uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act request that he had about the Epstein case. Really still important. Uh, if anybody forgets, he died. Epstein died on August 10th, 2019. But uh, Tom did some great work uh, with his group. They called their work called The Detail. He can talk more about that and about his research into the case. So Tom Secker, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being the interview. Hey, William. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our last show, you run the clandestine podcast, the spy culture website, but you are working with a team doing some research. And uh, can you talk about how that started and, and what uh, the Freedom of Information Act turned up? Sure, sure. So this is a small team that I was running at RT, though we've now left for what should probably be fairly obvious reasons. Um, although we're still somewhat working together and uh, looking towards trying to launch the detail as a kind of independent outlet on its own if we can. But essentially, this was a follow-up on a story that the New York Times did uh, sometime last, I think it was late last summer, um, where they said they'd got hold of a bunch of files from the Bureau of Prisons on Epstein's brief stay at the MCC, the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York. Uh, and he was only there for about five weeks. Uh, from early July until, as you said, his death on August 10th, 2019. And the New York Times piece obviously went out of its way to try and uh, uphold and underpin the suicide narrative, which you know, hardly anyone actually believes, let's face it. Um, and their story, we felt, was pretty weak. There was a follow-up, I think, a few days later by Vice, who actually published a handful of these documents, but we were wondering, like, what's in these files? Because they're not making the full set available, and their stories seem to be fairly shallow and simple-minded. So Kit, Kit Clarenberg, who co-wrote the three-part series that we did, um, he got in touch with the Bureau of Prisons, and we got hold of this massive cache of Bureau of Prisons documents. I mean, I'm no, not kidding here. It ran to 3,674 pages of wow. material. And when you think he was only there for like five weeks or something, that's an awful lot of documents. Um, and this contains all kinds of stuff, you know, internal emails, reports on his cellmates, uh, psychological evaluations, medical records, medical reports, all sorts of stuff. And so we dug in. It took a while to try and digest this material and figure out what's here and what isn't. Um, and then we wrote up this, this three-parter, looking first at his supposed attempted suicide which was around um, July 22nd, 23rd, something like that. Um, his alleged suicide on August 10th, and all of the stuff that was going on in and around all of this, which is a really quite, I mean, fairly complex, but fascinating story. I mean, you've read the three-parter. Yes. We found some quite surprising stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people didn't already know about, and there's a lot of stuff that just adds to the suspicion that whatever was going on inside that prison, it wasn't like straightforward or legitimate or honest. Or um, intentionally obfuscated, right? Or intentionally obfuscated. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was loads of that. Uh, I mean, so where do you want to start? Should we start with the well, uh, attempted suicide? Because people, the alleged suicide was kind of a blip. People might have forgotten that on tw- July 23rd. He supposedly tried to kill himself, but there was a lot of uh, alternate facts uh, disputing that, right? Sure, sure. So he's found uh, in his cell, unconscious, in the early hours that morning, maybe two o'clock in the morning, something like that. He's got mysterious marks on his neck. No one could explain what happened. Neither he nor his cellmate could really cast any light on what had gone on here and how he got into this condition. He's examined by a doctor about four hours later, whose report doesn't conclude an awful lot and the entire section where Epstein said how he came by the injuries is completely redacted but evidently Epstein was saying he wasn't suicidal and he didn't attempt suicide he kept saying this in the days afterwards he's put on suicide watch for about 24 hours and then taken off it which is itself a rather bizarre decision this sort of well if he wasn't suicidal why did they put him on suicide watch to begin with and if he was suicidal why did they only put him on for 24 hours anyway the, the, he's subject to this psychological evaluation quite this is probably the most in-depth psych eval report in the whole you know massive binder of documents they concluded he wasn't suicidal and that's why he gets taken off suicide watch and gets put on this sort of lesser psychological evaluation thing um right and so did they they said he was chosen with he first bunked with this guy nicholas tartaglioni right who was a former NYPD officer who was in jail for killing four guys, right? Well, allegedly, certainly. Allegedly. That's what he was accused of. Um, exactly what happened in that case is a, a, another strange question. But, I mean, this was one of the things that we tried to find, okay, is that were there other people in the prison who were angry at Epstein? Were there people threatening him? Did he get into any fights or arguments with other prisoners? There's no sign of any of that. If anything... He was, it seems, paying off various prisoners within, you know, various other, you know, people within the prison. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about inmates, not officials, um, including his own cellmates. Uh, it seems both of them received money into their commissary accounts from Epstein by his lawyers, which is a little odd, again. And, but again, like I say, there was no sign of anyone actually in the prison being angry with him or wanting him dead. Uh, certainly not among the other prisoners, let's say. Right. I mean, so, but he was complaining. So Epstein's complaining. He also said during the psychological eval that he was future oriented and he is Jewish and suicide is against his religion. Right. So he was telling him that. Yeah. He even says, you know, he, I, I'm a coward. I wouldn't kill myself. I'm frightened of blood. I'm frightened of violence. I'm frightened of all these things. So there's just no way I would kill myself or even could. Now, maybe that's a bit, you know laying it on a little thick, but there's certainly nothing in any of these evaluations, and he was subject to these quite regularly while he was in the prison, particularly after the supposed suicide attempt. None of them concluded he was suicidal. None of them even concluded he was depressed. He was complaining about the noise and, you know, various health problems he was having, the quality of the food, the normal sort of stuff people complain about when they're in prison. Uh, And this is what the New York Times tried to string together as their reasoning for why he killed himself, was that, you know, facing the possibility of maybe life in jail... And, you know, in these, you know, fairly miserable conditions that American prisons have, 
he, he couldn't hack it anymore and so he hung himself and that was essentially the whole story that they, they put together but they sort of avoided all of the other stuff that's actually in these files that suggests otherwise so anyway the day after his attempted suicide or alleged attempted suicide i don't i'm not convinced he did attempt suicide at all to be honest um the prison decide to discipline him over this he gets taken off suicide watch but they decide to put him through a disciplinary process for in their words self-mutilation slash tattooing this is presumably about the marks on his neck the problem is the incident report that was filed on you know him being found in his cell doesn't mention anything about self-mutilation it just says that it was a suicide attempt you know by asphyxiation or attempted asphyxiation um there's nothing about mutilation there's nothing about that in the medical reports there's no mention of it in the psychological evaluations it isn't until a week later literally the day of the disciplinary procedure itself that another email gets sent to the boss the overall you know warden of the prison saying oh here's a new copy of the report and this time it does include the stuff about self-mutilation so how is it that for a week basically no paperwork in that prison except the stuff saying they were going to discipline him mentions anything about this self-mutilation anyway so then they put him through the disciplinary procedure epstein basically doesn't cooperate he doesn't say anything he refuses to talk about it they call no witnesses they basically cite no evidence so they just take this newly written version of the report and uphold it and say it's true and say we're kicking this upstairs for further action by the bosses sometime later that choice to discipline him that charge is expunged it's removed from his record but it's not clear if anyone actually told epstein this or told his lawyers or anyone else this so what on earth was going on around that does that sound to you like a legitimate you know a prisoner tried to hang himself and the prison did what they no no not at all <laughs> it's the opposite it should be very clear they wouldn't expunge anything or take anything off so there's a lot of problems even with that first preliminary story before he was found dead and then i think you wrote that the self-mutilation was later stricken from the record after he died too right mm. or a classified internal bop memo so well I mean, one of the uh, judges in his case actually raised some questions about this because when epstein was in court he noticed the marks on his neck and sort of raised some queries about this with the marshals and so on but again, according to both media reports and some of the stuff in these files, Epstein said, no, 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 he, as far as he was concerned, that had all been cleared up and that he wasn't, you know, that there was nothing wrong with these marks on his neck, that it was just some sort of weird thing that happened and that it wasn't a sign of, you know, him losing it or trying to kill himself or anything like that. But whether or not he actually said that to these marshals or not, because this is all reported, you know, second and third hand, we don't actually know <laughs> right well it's just i mean it's just unclear that's very odd yeah and so then tartaglioni was taken out and they replaced by efrain reyes right he was there until the day before his death right yeah 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 so for the next couple of weeks maybe a little more than a couple of weeks it's this new guy reyes and there is actually an extensive report where they went through because uh, Epstein was moved to the special housing unit because they wanted to keep him away from Gen Pop and they were actually concerned that, you know, someone's going to have a crack at him or something. Um, it does happen with high-profile prisoners. They're almost always shoved into special housing and kept away from the general prison population. Right. Um, Which is an acknowledgement that he is a special prisoner, right? So that yes. he's getting special treatment. So it is important, well, I think. 
bear in mind throughout this, as the files reveal, both the Bureau of Prisons and the Department of Justice are getting frequent emails from, it seems, random members of the public saying, I'm concerned about Epstein, I'm concerned someone, you know, wow. a class psycho is going to have him whacked while he's in wow. the prison. And wow. it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, like half the country, as soon as Epstein got arrested, was thinking, he's not going to last long in prison, is right. he? Right. <laughs> yeah, they know. I didn't think so. That, right? Right. Um, wow. It's, yeah. It's kind of funny, you know, just reading these emails, and it's like, you know, a week or two later, pretty much exactly what these emails predicted seems to have come true. So, yeah, they stick him in there with, with Reyes for a while, but Reyes himself is mysteriously taken, or he's not there, the night of Epstein's death exactly why not isn't all that clear but um i mean they did do this like extensive review of the other prisoners in the special housing unit to try and figure out who would make a good cellmate for him and one of the reasons that they stuck him with the people they did was they thought these people kind of both have pending cases that they're cooperating on and so they don't have a reason to like get into a fight with him they might risk any plea deal if they end up getting into a fight with a high profile prisoner all of this kind of stuff so they felt that Epstein right. would be safer but there again that's an indication that the prison knew there was some kind of risk to him that there was right. some kind of threat that Epstein's right. life was to some extent in danger right good point so they're aware but they're treating him strange and there was one moment there I think you wrote in that first article that they were filing files every 15 minutes so at some point they were really on the ball watching him and then something dropped off right that's why he was on suicide watch yeah yeah it was like there was someone going in and checking on him every 15 minutes um but like i say they took him off suicide watch after about 24 hours um and, and you know these notes are incredibly mundane and dull it's just you know epstein is reading epstein is staring out the window 15 minutes later you know, whatever um but it does show that if they want to, they can keep a very close eye on a prisoner and make sure that nothing happens to them. And yeah. then on the night of his death, that isn't what happens. For some reason, his cellmate isn't there. As widely reported, the camera in the cell and covering the area outside the cell wasn't working, apparently. Um, no one was checking on him. And even though the two guards that were on duty that night, who should have been checking regularly, they should have just been doing... Um, like, you know, doing the watch, doing a sort of tour of the prison every half an hour and making sure everything was still uh, as, it, as it should be. They were filling in false logs all night, saying that they were doing these checks when they weren't. Right, right. They then get into trouble for this. I mean, like, months later, they actually ultimately got charged. With, like, they got... Yeah, no, they were, um, they were being prosecuted. They just, their cases got dropped in December 2021. So cases got dropped, I think it was the day or the day after the verdict in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Incredible timing, yeah. And her verdict came in on December 30th. So that that announcement that they weren't pursuing these charges against these prison uh, officers for falsifying records and it seems covering up whatever it was that happened to Epstein. Uh, the announcement that they wouldn't be pursued for those charges was on December 31st, i.e. a day no one reads the news. Yeah, right. no one reads news on New Year's Eve. Of course, they, it's the best, best day yeah. of the year, probably. Yeah, they timed it very sure. well. Yeah, you think that is coincidence? It's, mm, it's not random, that's for sure. No, <laughs> no, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, they were waiting for the right time to drop that, that they weren't going to prosecute them, but they, uh, 
there was the interesting thing that your article points out is those FOIA documents indicate that inside the prison, they weren't coming out with a statement that that Epstein committed suicide, but outside of the prison, all the media said it was suicide, right? So they rushed to judgment. Well, that was the right? thing. They find him unconscious and apparently not breathing early that morning. It seems he was actually already dead by that point. But So he gets rushed off to hospital. At that point, that's basically all the prison really knows. The hospital then pronounces him dead. They feed that back to the prison officers. But the prisoners start leaking, uh, sorry, the prison officers, the people who actually work there, start leaking this to the media. I mean, they, they also start getting phone calls from journalists because evidently some of the inmates were phoning up people and telling them what happened. Um, you know, this stuff leaks out quickly in a prison. It just does. Um, but there again, the reports, they note that when, when Epstein's body is found and he's being, you know, uh, wheeled away on the, on the stretcher, on the gurney, into the ambulance that the other inmates were shouting breathe epstein breathe they wanted him to stay alive hmm. they were like it seems supportive of him or you, you see what i mean there's no sign of anyone in that prison having strangled him or killed him um if anything it seems the other prisoners other inmates actually got on quite well with the man um, and found him quite friendly and things and this actually I mean, not to defend him, certainly, of course, but this does actually match quite a lot of other reports that he wasn't in any way like a sort of aggressive or nasty person in his personality, regardless of, you know, the crimes he committed. Um, that, you know, he was actually kind of a like quite easygoing guy, if you know what I mean. Um, so anyway, yeah, the prison starts responding to these inquiries from journalists and starts telling them, yeah, Epstein's dead. It looks like a suicide they even send out a statement saying that the FBI were investigating, which is true. The FBI have turned up and they've confiscated a tape. We don't know what's on this tape or which camera it's from or anything like that, but a tape apparently relating to the incident, to whatever happened there. Anyway, so they're, so they're telling the media, yeah, he's dead, he committed suicide, the FBI is looking into this. They then start getting emails and phone calls from the Department of Justice, the US Marshals Service, the FBI... Epstein's lawyers and lawyers for Epstein's family members, i.e. the bereaved parties here. And they're all asking, why are you telling stuff to the media before you've told it to us? These emails and phone calls go unanswered for hours. They get more and more angry. They get more and more like frustrated with we're seeing you know all these details getting reported all day in the media before you've told any of us. They then sent a statement to Epstein's lawyers and the lawyers representing his family members that deleted the part about the FBI investigating the death. They say it's basically the same statement, but you can see in their documents the sort of edited versions and where a sentence has been highlighted and then deleted and stuff like this, in, you know, because they're all attached to the emails. It took out that bit. So they're telling the media that the FBI is looking into it, but they're telling his lawyers and his family's lawyers they didn't tell them that. Why not? Right. Does that not strike you as horribly suspicious yes absolutely i mean all of the the foia stuff indicates just deliberate obfuscation and other people telling stuff in denial that they knew like there was no ever uh, to my knowledge the department of justice never acknowledged that publicly that epstein could be at risk like you know they never wanted to make a statement like oh this is a high value person or anything they just kept him in there like while the public was like this guy's going to get whacked. This guy's going to get whacked. And they they put him in there 
I mean, Tartaglioni was just, uh, he took four people into a bar and dismembered them, allegedly. That was his crime, you know. It was a drug-related crime. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, I mean, I wouldn't even put him in the jail cell with that guy. It's amazing. <laughs> um, well, that is, I mean, that is kind of questionable. I guess with Tartaglioni, the, their reasoning was he was ultimately cooperating in his case. And so, like I say, if he was going to arrange some kind of plea deal, it, you know, he can put that at risk if he does anything to Epstein, but still, that's right. Like... Cooperate, but you can interpret cooperating in two different ways. Who's he really cooperating with? Is he cooperating with the case or is he cooperating to make sure Epstein doesn't breathe anymore? I mean, the guy was roided out to like incredible, oh, it's enormous, enormous yeah. 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 Um, and it was known to be violent, physically violent, so it's like a whole other story, but uh, so I mean, then and then, yeah. On that morning, bear in mind the prison's briefing this to the media, who are obviously reporting it everywhere. Um, before they'd done any kind of investigation, bear in mind they had no photos, no video, no physical evidence from the room, no report had been filed, no one had investigated this incident at all. But the prison just concluded it must be a suicide, even though actually suicide in prison isn't that common, you know. So, why did they leap to this conclusion? And why were they so keen to brief this to the media and get that narrative out there before A, they had any evidence for it, and B, were telling anyone from the US Marshal Service, the FBI, the Department of Justice, Epstein's lawyers, or his family's lawyers, all five of which had a much greater, you know, bigger right to know that straight away than right. Vice Magazine and the New York Times and whoever else. Or Daily Beast or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. It was, yeah. It's just right. Like, that's who they were liaising with. That's who they, they were getting back to those emails quickly. But the U.S. Marshals was like getting increasingly angrier and angrier as the day goes on. Like, why on earth aren't you responding to us? Why can't you even tell us basic facts about what's gone on here? And it's a good, fair question. Yeah, right. I'm on their yeah. side of this for once. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think that the inclusion in your third article of the Nagel document, the Bureau of Prisons National Suicide Prevention Coordinator. I think that's very telling because he's writing in there. There's like, there's stuff missing. I can't possibly make a, you know, accurate timeline, confirm subjective reports, establish converging and diverging lines of facts, discover new areas. I mean, he says he can't do it, right? Yeah. So this is the only investigation that was done from within the Bureau of Prisons itself. I should say the FBI did say, I think this was a, congressional hearing of some sort they said they were investigating the case and they were looking into the possibility that a quote criminal enterprise was behind epstein's death whether or not that investigation has gone anywhere we don't know because they don't seem to be announcing much about it there is also a bureau of prisons inspector general investigation and i think a department of justice inspector general investigation both of yes. which are already out by now but i'm not sure if they've actually come out yet they had to wait until the um, two people were where the cases were dropped in December. So it should be out sometime. It's it's. I think it was supposed to be out in January of 2022. But you know, yeah, yeah. it was supposed to be out already, but we yeah. haven't seen them yet. So that'll be very interesting. So the only investigation that we have to date that we can actually read through is the one from this National Suicide Prevention Coordinator. This is the office that they, you know, the person that they send in whenever there's a suicide or suspected suicide in a prison to see, you know, did we do anything wrong? Did we miss anything here? Did we miss the warning signs? Could we improve in the future? All of that kind of stuff. Um, basically, could this have been prevented? 
so the head of that office, this guy, Nagle, comes in and <laughs> essentially just talks to a handful of people. I mean, it's not even clear what investigation he, he really did. It's primarily based. Uh, he did what's called a psychological reconstruction of Epstein's time in prison, the last, you know, five or six weeks while he'd been in the MCC. And essentially from these psychological evaluations and the other records that were released as part of this big batch, he concludes, yes, this was a suicide, and no, there was nothing they really could have done better and could have, prevented, could have been prevented and, and all of this kind of thing. And so the head of the prison, reading the draft of this report, actually sends him an email. And this is one of the most astonishing things I've ever read. And I've, you know, I spent all my time reading government documents. Um, he says, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. It's unbelievable that you managed to put together such a thorough report in the absence of witnesses, video, physical evidence. <laughs> 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 yes, it is unbelievable, isn't it? Right. I mean, there's two ways to interpret that, right? I mean, that's the whole thing, like cooperating, cooperating with you. You know, I mean, these guys are uh, like, it's like an inside joke. There's just so many double meanings in some of these words. But yeah, I mean, the fact that the FBI came out and took a videotape, I don't think that was public knowledge until you put it out. Like, I've never heard that part of the story. No, we like, there's no video because the FBI took it. Like, oh, we don't have video of it. Sorry, there's no video of the night that he committed suicide. But they don't tell the public, well, the FBI came and took a videotape. Right. Although, what on earth that is on that videotape? Will we ever find out? I mean, it's a bit like yeah. videotapes from 9/11 and things like right. that. Right. Sort of just, right. You know, we know the tape exists somewhere because there's right. references to it in documents. But what that tape shows or doesn't show is kind of anyone's guess, really, at this point. But um, yeah, so this psychological reconstruction done by Nagel, he went through all of these psych evals, and even though, like I said earlier. All of these evaluations basically concluded Epstein isn't even depressed, let alone suicidally depressed. Um, he, in fact, seems in relatively good spirit for someone who's stuck in prison and facing serious charges. But he kept saying, you know, I, I believe I'm going to beat these charges. I believe I'm going to be able to go back to my, you know, normal life. Right. Uh, he you know, that's... about that, but... Yeah, he told his lawyers that, too. His lawyers made a statement in, I think some kind of conclusory thing where they wrapped up the, the case, his lawyers say there was no evidence that he was suicidal or that he didn't think he was going to get out or beat the charges. So that's what his two lawyers, who met with him all the time. I think they're meeting with him almost every day. So, Yeah, no they were. I mean, that's what the records show is that he, he spoke to them at least several times a week at any rate. So they kept close eye on him as well. They saw no sign of a suicidal man either. And you have to think, in Epstein's position, whatever charges he was facing and whatever he may have been convicted of, and it isn't the easiest thing to convict in a case like his, um, because you are, to some extent, relying on witnesses who are themselves, you know, kind of traumatized by what they've been through. So they, their accounts usually are a little fuzzy. That's just the nature of traumatized memories and so on. Um, even if he does get convicted, he can just name names to leverage that. He can just get himself stuck in protective custody or something. The guy had options. The guy could have done any number of things to not face any like serious prison time over what he did. Well, so, his his um, his attorneys were making the argument that the general agreement from his case in 2008 absolved him and everybody from any other crime, so they couldn't re-prosecute him for anything that happened before that. That was their argument. So they might have had an out. 
There might, there might have been enough. Away on a technicality. Right. Um, so, yeah, this whole notion that, you know, he, he killed himself because he was facing these terrible charges and facing the rest of his life in prison. He might have he might have just thought it was going to be a redux of what happened in 2007. He was going to get a slap on the wrist and walk. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and let's face it, in his position, that probably he'd have a good reason to think that that could happen. Um, right. But so, then you can you can flip it and say the reason these arrests took place is they wanted him in a concealed uh, spot mm -hmm. where they could put the zap on him, right? So that could have been another thing. Like arrest him and we'll get him in the MCC and we know somebody on the inside. <clears throat> but yeah, in this psychological reconstruction, he, he took statements from these psych evals and completely ripped them out of context. So the thing about Epstein being a coward, where he says, oh, you know, he even said, you know, I'm a coward, I'm Jewish, which I'm like, if that if you weren't Jewish, that'd be kind of anti-Semitic, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, he was taking statements like that and using them to show, look, look, Epstein couldn't face what, you know, he couldn't come to terms with what he was facing. He couldn't, you know, deal with his future that he was looking at. He even said that he was a coward. Look, he was obviously suicidal. And it's like, that's not what he said. You read that right. sentence in context in the original document, that's not what he said, and that's not what that means. Um, so, he, like I say, you also have, so you have the prison pushing this narrative immediately when they had no evidence for it, no substantiation. You had this National Suicide Prevention Coordinator producing his report based on almost no evidence, and the only evidence he really liked was that actually said the opposite. And then you have uh, the autopsy, which was fuzzy for a few days, and then ultimately concluded suicide. But then a second autopsy was done by a coroner hired by the family, and he concluded the opposite. He said, right, Bodden, very famous, very famous for forensic uh, medical practitioner, Michael Bodden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, there were the, the way that the bones were broken in Epstein's neck are actually highly uncommon in hangings, in suicides, and they're much, much, much more common when someone in strangulation, when someone's murdered. And it's like, well, I mean, he, that's how he died. No one's disputing that's how he died. You know, he asphyxiated and the bones in his neck broke. The question is, how did that happen? And it's like, well, would you trust this coroner from inside the prison, given everything else that they were up to, and given that they were pushing this story even before any coroner took a look at Epstein's body? Or are you more inclined to trust a coroner, albeit one hired by the family, and therefore has some motivation to come to a different verdict, but at least explained his logic and said, this is why I came to this alternative verdict? Right. I'm more inclined to trust the second one, I've got to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, me too. I mean, I, I think Bodden, you'd be risking his reputation to, you know, obfuscate stuff or, or get it wrong. I mean, he has to back up his findings. So I think uh, I, I think it's pretty, I mean, I heard that around here in L.A., they were having parties the days before Epstein was found dead because they knew he was going to die. So people, the, the info had gotten out that he was going to go down. So I think. I think from a fairly reliable source told me that, so I, mean, I think... Uh, I mean, it's entirely possible I've heard that story before, but yeah, yeah. I, I can believe um, that, because clearly Epstein was hooked in with high society. I oh. don't know exactly who on those lists of names and lists of people on the, you know, on the flight logs and what have you, who was involved in exactly what, we don't know, maybe we never will, but it seems impossible that none of them were involved, and it's impossible that none of them knew what was going on. So at the very least, we're looking at a conspiracy of silence. We're looking at complicity to that degree. Right. 
some of these people being actively involved in what we know Epstein was doing, which, I mean, it just seems impossible some of them weren't. I just don't know which ones were and which ones weren't, you know, I don't want to, I don't think it's fair to make unsubstantiated or speculative allegations of those sorts um, at individuals, absent stronger evidence than I have right now. But like I say, in a general categorical sense, some of them must have been involved and a lot of them must have known and kept quiet about it. Right, and it is interesting that the other guy that was with that was his cellmate died, right? Reyes died later, maybe a year later. Uh, um, from surgery following a bout of COVID, as I recall. So he's not saying anything. <laughs> right, and he was, he was interviewed by Barr, supposedly, right? That's what you wrote. So Barr interviewed him for some reason. Well, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's the thing. There does seem to have been a Department of Justice and an FBI investigation into what happened here to some extent. Whether that was like a you know authentic one with any kind of integrity is we don't know yet. But certainly, yeah, other people were interviewed. Other people were asked questions. This is one of the reasons, actually, why the psychological reconstruction basically didn't really draw on any witnesses. It's not just no witnesses were apparently available to what exactly what happened, but also they were all... Uh, kind of um, prevented from talking to him because they were taking part in the Department of Justice and FBI investigations, so he couldn't talk to them, which is a bit weird. It's like, well, if they're a witness, they're a witness, they should be useful to all of these investigations. No? Well, apparently not. So, But whatever. My point being, if anything comes out of those DOJ and FBI investigations, it's likely to either be a complete whitewash or will be substantially more revelatory than what we've got so far. Because um, it will be a whitewash to avoid all of that because they actually spoke to a bunch of people that um the, the guy from the prevention the suicide prevention office didn't speak to and they actually saw some stuff and it seems to have this videotape whatever that shows they've just got more information so they should if they don't reveal more we can confidently say that's a wild watch and a cover-up because they know more they must they know, know more right and usually those are very um detailed those office of the inspector general or whatever those are generally much more Thorough, like they they did a whole bunch of stuff about the Russian investigation that was all pretty credible. Um, so um, if it they're they're the same as that, well, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah, Inspector Generals aren't half, aren't half bad. I find those reports actually quite often worth reading. There's um, the Special Inspector General on Afghan Reconstruction, who's been publishing reports over the last 13, 14, 15 years on the screwed up policy towards Afghanistan and why it failed so badly. Some of his reports are. I don't want to say hilarious. I mean, they are hilarious to read, but they shouldn't be. They are a, a wonderfully honest and blunt account of just how badly they did almost everything. It was like, you know, all, all of these reports basically saying they got it wrong from start to finish, whether we're talking about intelligence, overall strategy, geopolitics, not understanding the situation on the ground, wasting money, there being no accountability. You know, they just screwed it up completely from start to finish. Um, and sort of, yeah, if we get an Inspector General's honest Inspector General's report about what happened to Epstein in that prison, I think it's at the very least going to be very, very critical and say that we shouldn't trust these officials and that clearly they've lied about stuff. Right. Maybe further than that. Right. I mean, I think it's reflected in these, you know, 3,600 files that you got. I think that there's a lot. It's not a clean, clear cut. Everything's very murky. Oh, you did that? Oh, you had nothing to do? Oh, great job. Great job get coming up with a suicide conclusion, you know? Oh, the FBI shows up and takes the video? Oh, okay. Well, 
let's just get to that conclusion. So there's a lot of problems. I mean, how would you recap your FOI request in regards to Epstein? Um, I mean, it's certainly one of those situations where we've provoked a lot more questions than we've got answers to things. But I also think anyone who reads this three-parter or even has a look at the documents themselves cannot come away from that with any greater faith in in the prison system in what happened there any greater faith in the official story all it does is cast further doubt on that i mean that's the thing let's say vice and the new york times both got hold of at least some of these documents before we did they had them mm. and yeah you know, the new york times had a team of like 10 people working on this when you read their article it's you know, eight different people's names underneath it wow. well, we, in about a week, with three of us going through this, found a whole bunch of stuff that they never reported on. So I'm not just saying that kind of chest out and things. I'm just saying New York Times really isn't very good at this sort of stuff. They had most, if not all, of this information. They didn't report on any of it, either because they didn't spot it or because they didn't think it was important. And they came out with a story that reaffirmed what the prison was saying. When we took an honest look at the documents, we came to the opposite conclusion for all the reasons that we've been discussing for the last half hour or so. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that would be the big takeaway for me is pretty much everything in there is a reason to not believe the suicide narrative. Right. And there's yeah. a lot in there suggesting that whatever happened, the prison were behaving in a very dodgy and very suspicious and very corrupt way long before August 10th. Right. Right. Even even considering what was the so-called quote first suicide attempt, you know yeah, that yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally it's sketchy. So that was part of what the prison were up to. In fact, I started wondering when I first was reading about the whole attempted suicide or alleged attempted suicide thing. I was wondering, did they want him to kill himself? Because the way the prison were treating him was like, I mean, I don't believe he did. I'm just saying, on the outside chance that he did, it seems that the prison wanted him to. It seems that right. they did everything they could. <laughs> to make that man to make it happen like okay we've got him let's get rid of him i mean there's a lot of people who exhale i've said this in other shows about epstein but there's a lot of people who had sighs of relief that uh when he died because he took with him a lot of secrets about a lot of men who were traveling to the island and people from hollywood all over the place you know he was sure. totally he and maxwell were totally totally networked in, in the culture and it's kind of similar to the, I don't know if you're familiar with it, with the Jimmy Savile case in this case. Yes, yeah, very much. Yeah, They just dropped another Jimmy Savile or a Jimmy Savile documentary on Netflix, and I'm actually going to have a show with Philip Fairbanks and talk about what's in it and what's not in it. So it's Jimmy yeah. Savile, A British Horror Story is the title of it. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen the documentary yet. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't spend... No offense, I don't spend as much time on this sort of case as you because I find it a bit too disturbing. Um, it's not a subject I can devote as much time to as you can, just for essentially just for emotional reasons more than anything else. It's not that I don't think these things are important. They absolutely are important. It's just it's, you know, there's only so much dark stuff you can spend your time digging through. Because um, Savile yeah. is Savile was very it was networked too. He knew everybody, right? Royal family, yeah, just royal family, you name it. Yeah. Um, and Epstein and Maxwell is a similar story. Like I say, they're just plugged into high society. They're just part of this. You know, there are people who will have known Savile and Epstein, um, won't they? Right, right, sure was. I mean, Prince Andrew, right? He knew them both. That's, that's <laughs> one of the strange things. Like, 
there are things where he's with the Savile in this documentary. A lot of people who study the Epstein-Maxwell see that, Andrew, that side of him with the, with those two, but they don't see him with Savile. So he's in, he has got strange bedfellows, man. Really weird. So, For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom, great information. Thanks for doing this research. It definitely gives a lot more clarity about really what happened inside the MCC. I'll put the links to the three articles you wrote with your team um, on the show notes so people can read that. Where's the best place for people? Can you talk about your website, podcast, and what you're working on? Uh, well, actually, just uh, can I add one more tiny little weird thing? Yeah, please do. Yeah, please uh, do. That we didn't include in the uh, in the three part just because it's more weird than anything else. Um, one of these medical reports, this was from two, three days after the supposed suicide attempt. Epstein went to the doctor complaining that when he woke up that morning, he couldn't control his right hand, that his right hand was simply doing what it wanted and he couldn't stop it for like 30 seconds to a minute. And that was the point at which I was starting to toy with, just for fun, not seriously. What if he was possessed and strangled himself you know, out of demonic position. <laughs> I sort of started to wonder, is this kind of where they're going with this? I mean, Maybe they were drugging him, you know? Maybe they were putting psychedelics in his uh, food. I don't know. You never know, do you? Because you this you don't. thing has been done. This sort of thing does happen. So I'm, I'm it has been done. It has been done. Who was the guy? I think it was the Nazi guy who was jailed. It was uh, the third in command of the Nazi party said they were drugging his food, and he kind of went insane and forgot stuff. Like, yes. Has believed that he was totally being drugged, but he was also kind of a little tip. Um, yeah. So where's the where's the best place to get get your material? And your, uh, can you mention your website too? Sure, sure. I mean, my website is spyculture.com. Uh, as we were discussing in our last talk, I mostly focus on government involvement in Hollywood, all the propaganda around high politics and deep politics and the warfare state, the intelligent world, all of that kind of thing. So that's my, I mean, that's my primary area of focus. Um, I've got fairly big investigations coming up on a whole bunch of things, actually. Um, mostly, I mean, just for sort of movie-related stuff. I've got some stuff on the new Top Gun film that's out in four or five weeks, I think. Uh, I've got a big investigation into the relationship between Amazon and the New Zealand government over the new Lord of the Rings series that's out later this year. That's the most expensive TV show of all time. Uh, that's a big, you know, that's going to be a big TV event. And trust me, there was a very dodgy, corrupt, and problematic deal that went on there. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. You know, and that's Amazon. You know, they're right. one of the world's biggest corporations, one of the world's most powerful corporations. Um, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of, of stuff on that coming out over the next few months. And like I say, we are, Kit and I are making some kind of progress on, on trying to turn the detail into an independent entity because we want to keep doing these sorts of investigations. We want to keep looking into this sort of stuff because there aren't enough people doing it. So, Agreed. yeah, that's what I did. I mean, it is interesting that you, nobody in the States did what you did, as far as I know, an independent kind of analysis of these uh FOI docu FOIA documents so important. So I appreciate you doing it again. It's Tom Secker, and the website is spyculture.com. Podcast is Clandest Time. So it's Clandest T I M E podcast with Tom Secker. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. All right, stay there.